Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is a rapid-fire Wednesday. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. We had kind of a rapid-fire Tuesday between the two of you guys, getting some comments from the texters about this tight end uh, argument we had early on in the pod. Any, any, anything else you got? Any last words we need to get in on that? Yeah, can I just say one thing? I saw one where somebody was like, Doug, don't yell at Steven. He's a child. And it's like, dude, I'm 27. I'm not really a child. I wouldn't, you know, I said something. He didn't agree with it. We had a moment. We moved on. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I think people were mostly impressed by Doug saying, you don't get to yell. I'm the one who yells on this podcast. (laughs) What's funny about that? It's true. I think a lot of things are funny about that. It's true. It's true, though. That's what's funny. The volume corner. Your face is what's funny because you're like, yeah, that's exactly how this works. Yeah. I yell. If anybody is under the illusion that this is an equal distribution on this podcast, you are sadly mistaken. So, like, I'm not going to feed that illusion. I've been here from day one. Steven, I was doing this podcast when you were in high school, man. This is true. So, like, that's (laughs) literally. That's the deal. So, but I, uh, I um I don't think you're a child though, but Jeremy no, Ruckert, Jeremy Ruckert, if he would have played a 14 game season last year, would have had 22 catches. So that's it's 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 not a status thing. It's mostly a status thing. I'm old and I've been here, but I just it's, you're, you're you know it's about the it's about what's behind your argument. If you've got something behind your argument, I'm all here for it. I, I think but we may actually not, continue. I think we may actually continue this argument with uh, one of the questions we have coming up. So we've got. Several questions here. We got a lot of questions about the conference realignment things. People should go listen to our Tuesday podcast because we talked about some of those things there. That was mostly posing the question, the specific concept of why Ohio State shouldn't move to the SEC. But we talked about some broader topics in there. I did want to touch on some things because, again, it's what a lot of people are thinking about. Uh, So right off the bat, let's go to the 336. Assuming Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren is gone or undergoes a miraculous advancement of intelligence and wisdom, what can the Big Ten do to help raise the competitiveness of its second-tier programs, Wisconsin, Penn State, 
Michigan, Iowa, Indiana. They actually said meat chicken. I feel like I should, in the spirit of Ohio State fans, acknowledge that that's what they said. But in case there were people who didn't know what that meant, I'll call them Michigan. Um, I think this is one of the questions that is sort of has to raise to the forefront right now because what is the point of potentially expanding for the Big Ten? It would be to grow in football stature and grow financially. Um, the finances we won't get into, but as far as growing in football stature, as I said on yesterday's pod, I don't think there are necessarily easy fits out there that help them do that. I think that has to come from within the Big Ten. And I guess my answer to the texture would be, there's, if they're looking for Kevin Warren to do something, they're looking at the wrong place. If they're looking for the Big Ten structure to do something, they're looking in the wrong place because there's nothing the Big Ten go, can do except shovel those programs money, which it's already doing. Do you guys disagree with that? No, I agree with that. That Brett Bielema coming back to the Big Ten, I think, is, a, is an indication. Of, now he came back a little bit with his, tails between, his tail between his legs because he didn't succeed at Arkansas. But it was a very big deal when he left the Big Ten in 2012 that he claimed it then, and he reiterated it at Big Ten Media Days last week, that it was because he couldn't pay his assistant coaches what he wanted them to pay in, at Wisconsin at that point. And I think he took most of his dues to Arkansas, and they all got raises. The Big Ten Network solved a lot of that stuff. So it's not like the Big Ten is not making money. The Big Ten is making money. The Big Ten is like financially very comparable with the SEC. Now, they're not going to be financially comparable with a Texas-Oklahoma SEC, but like right now they're good. They're good on money, right? And so the thing that, I mean, like I don't think we have to point this out is unless you're just going to like, move like pick up the states of Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and jam them in the Gulf of Mexico. Like, I don't know what you want people to do. The big 10 is a Midwest Northern conference. The best players are in the South and Southwest like that. It wasn't like that 40 years ago. I mean, this has been covered a million times. There used to be a ton of great players in Western Pennsylvania and Ohio, whatever. And there are still good players there, but not as many. Not as many as there are in Texas and Florida and Georgia and Louisiana and California. Like, that's just real. So I think the money is, a, is like as good as you could ask for. And the money leads to more money into your football programs, which is facilities, which supposedly allows you to recruit, uh, compete in recruiting. We see that with Purdue. We see that with Northwestern. And coaching. The coaching's better. They're, they're overpaying guys. But the coaching, the coaching in the Big Ten is good pretty good. So I don't know that there's anything left. I think to your point, Nathan, like it's on Penn state to be better. What else do you need to be better? And maybe the answer is, well, there's nothing they can do to be better because they're in state college and state college is not a mountaintop in the middle of nowhere. And maybe there's nothing else that Wisconsin can do to be better. Cause like Madison's cool, but like, it's, it's not Austin, you know? So like, I, I just, most of what's left is fundamental stuff that you can't change. And you've just got to be better within the situation that you have. But I don't know that I can wave a magic wand and make Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan recruit better. So I don't know. But also, like, you know what would solve? As much as, like, they are, have better, they do a better coaching, you know, if Matt Campbell was a coach at Michigan, that might solve it, right? Like, if, if, if yes, Mike I, Tomlin left the Steelers and took over for James Franklin, who's been good but hasn't gotten him over the top, maybe that would solve it, right? So I just – but I don't know – 
that's not on the commission because I think Jim Delaney, for as much as he was criticized over times, like set up the Big Ten to sort of be the best of what they can be, and then the rest is on the schools. I say I think there's an argument to be made that Michigan's failures right now are not just a diminishment to the Ohio State rivalry. It's a diminishment to the entire Big Ten. We've actually probably talked about that a little bit before. But, Stephen, I wanted to ask you specifically. So people keep throwing this out, and we have not got into all the the speculative fan fiction of of where the Big Ten could go. But one thing people keep bringing up is just annexing the Pac-12. So if Ohio State – or, I'm sorry, if the (laughs) – Freudian slip. If the Big Ten added USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Stanford, so can I interject, like, this is what this podcast is going to be? The rapid fire is going to be name that fake conference? No, that's not the, what we're going to do. Okay. I want to ask Stephen a question specific about – because I, wa- I want to kind of dispel this concept. Because I, So let's say they add four Western teams like that. Does it help – does that somehow help Penn State and Michigan and Wisconsin recruit that area of the country better? And does it help those schools – keep recruiting their own area better. Doesn't it seem like it, it hurts everybody from recruiting standpoint? It doesn't help the Big Ten schools, and it hurts those teams that are in the Southwest. No. I, I don't think it helps at all. On it. Maybe Penn State or Michigan in this fantasizical world gets one or two guys from California, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it becomes the norm that schools outside of Ohio State kind of plant a flag in the, on the West Coast. I think what you honestly see is more wet, most maybe some of the kids who are coming from the West Coast to Ohio State, maybe they just stay home. Yeah, I guess that, that's my point. That's as far as I wanted to go with like that that sort of speculation. But just kind of, I, I don't understand the people who think that going out west is an automatic help to the Big Ten. Maybe it does from a TV standpoint. I don't think it does from helping people actually attract football players. Standpoint. You don't think it would have any impact on recruiting to have you at it? It would make it easier for Penn State to recruit L.A. to have USC in the same conference. you think that would have zero impact? I think it would have minimal impact because I think it would – I don't know – I think it could have a detrimental impact for the schools that are already out west to keep recruiting those players to stay home if they're now in the Big Ten as opposed to being in a West Coast conference. But what's their choice? If you're a kid in L.A. and USC and UCLA are in the Big Ten, what choice do you have? you got to leave anyway, right? I, I mean, I don't want to – I don't want to act like, God, I don't want to do it. They're not going to join. So, like, it doesn't matter. But, like, the idea of going into a territory and then that territory being in your conference, would that help your conference recruit that territory? I mean, the answer has to be yes. Does it, does it make Penn State Alabama? No. But part of the issue here is Stephen saying, well, it would only help, you know, no one's going to go to L.A. and plant a flag other than Ohio State. Why? Like, why aren't the whole – one of the reasons that Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin, like, aren't as good as Ohio State is because they don't do that. They don't go plant flags in Houston and, and Atlanta and L.A. to the extent that Ohio State does. Well, why does Ohio State do it? Well, because they feel like the kids, when they go there, are receptive because they think they can come win a national championship at Ohio State and they can be developed into NFL players at Ohio State. Well, what do Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan have to do to inspire that same level of confidence for kids outside the Big Ten footprint? It's a chicken and the egg. Well, do you have to get the talent before you can attract the talent? I don't know what the answer is, but like to make Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan like somewhat more attractive to kids in 
warm climates, I, I mean, is probably a plus. I'm not saying that's they should add USC, but that was part of why. I mean, like the Rutgers thing was TV eyeballs, right, in New York, but it was also like, well, that'll help the Big Ten recruit New Jersey. And now I don't know what the numbers are on that. Alabama still recruits New Jersey, but mm-hmm. I don't think we can act like it would have no impact. I mean, I, you know, I mean, everybody's so- on TV all the time, but – it, it would make it feel a little more close to home because then like all of a sudden the media in LA is covering big 10 stuff. You're not just vanishing into thin air and that nobody in your community talks about the team you play for. Cause that's not what anybody cares about. I mean, I, there would at least be a little connective tissue more than there is now. So for what it's worth, both Penn state and Michigan are out there right now. Penn state's offered 17 guys from California in 2022 and Michigan's offered 27 guys. And actually the quarterback commit a three-star who's basically going to be JJ McCarthy's backup is just from the, from the optics of things is committed to Michigan already. I am just saying, <clears throat> I think that when you bring up New Jersey, I think the big difference here is Rutgers hasn't been a historical power. So if I'm going to, go to a big 10 school and I live in California and there's a historical power in my backyard, I'll probably just stay there and just be in the big 10 anyway. They're coming all the way East. I I would revise my statement to say that I think Doug is right, that it would have some benefit to recruiting. I don't know if it would be enough benefit to uh, offset some of the other things we talked about. The fact that you'd be now three time zones spread apart, all those things. I, I think there's a lot of factors there that would play off of each other. I don't know if it's if it's beneficial enough. Uh, there's another question. Go ahead. There's there's one other point that I want to bring up on this topic that I didn't mention before, and I guess Kevin Warren could do this. The Big Ten could just start acting like the only thing that matters is football, because Adam Rittenberg has a had a report out the other day that like, oh, the Big Ten, if they're looking at new members, they've got to be in the AAU. I, I mean, it, whatever. You got to have an academic credential thing, so that means that you know maybe Iowa State could come, but West Virginia couldn't. Like. If, if you're going to act like football is only part of the equation, then your numbers – I mean, the SEC doesn't act like that. Football is the only thing that matters. That's all that matters. And so – but that is part of the Big Ten's identity. And it's what we went back to on the Ohio State join the SEC discussion. So if Kevin Warren could somehow create a Big Ten culture that says, you know what? We do care about this other stuff, education, following the rules, whatever. But we are also starting the balls-to-the-wall football initiative. The Kevin Warren balls-to-the-wall football initiative. Sell out for football. One time I got hypnotized. I didn't get hypnotized. I got hypnotized one time, and I was, I was great at being hypnotized. But I was on a cruise, and my wife and I were playing like a dating game thing. We were on a stage and they were doing like a little cruise thing. And uh, they said, uh, this one was not, but I have been on a Disney cruise. Uh, so expensive. My mom paid. The, <laughs> that's how the grandparents get the grandkids. It's like, oh, I'll pay for vacation. Yeah, We only did it once because we can't afford it again. So the, the thing was, the question was, um, what's the first thing you touch? What's the first thing your husband touches when he wakes up in the morning? Right. And it's like, you know, borderline dirty. It's cruise ship. It's cruise. It's not like, you know, X-rated. It's like, PG, like PG-13. Mm. And so I said, can you say balls on a cruise ship? But of course, then my wife said his cell phone, because you reach over and you grab your cell phone. But it's like everybody wants you to say balls. 
So I said balls. So I said, can you say balls on a cruise ship? So occasionally in my house, we'll say things like, can you say balls on a cruise ship? I don't know if you can say balls in a podcast, but the balls to the wall football first initiative brought to you by Kevin Warren could help. It doesn't mean, well, I mean, it would mean it. You'd be all, it'd, like be, it'd be like you'd be threading the needle. It doesn't mean we don't value education, but I mean, like, it, it actually would mean that. It would mean that football is all that matters. But you could say the other butt stuff. Balls to the wall, Kevin Warren football initiative, that would help. Right? Like, what could we do to make our university mission win football games? Because that's not where the Big Ten is. And I'm not saying which is better and which is worse, but I think if you ask football coaches in the Big Ten, they would tell you that's one of the things that's different because nobody in the SEC acts like they're there for any other reason. And I get it. You can get a great education in the SEC. I'm not downgrading the value of an SEC education. I'm just saying the way – when it comes to football, nobody's messing around. No illusions. But would you be the Big Ten? So Kevin Warren could try that, and if he did it, They'd be better. Every like the schools that aren't the schools we're talking about here, Ohio State, not Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, they'd get a little better. You know, I think you make a good point. I, I think though, and that's one of the things that stumbled me a little bit these last few days, the past week, is that people keep bringing up teams like Kansas and Iowa State and West Virginia, and they don't excite me that much from a football standpoint. And I think to do what you're talking about would be the, the only way to make that kind of impact, which leads into kind of the next question from the 239 actually it's from Shelby in Florida could the league be in a worse leadership position with Kevin Warren during such transformative times did he appear less embarrassing watching his presser live I don't necessarily want this to be a bash Kevin Warren uh, episode of Buckeye talk but I do think it's worth discussing just the fact that this is still a a commissioner that it, it, the contrast between where they are and from a leadership standpoint today and where they were Latter-day Jim Delaney was very much evident last year, and I think it's going to be very much evident. I'm worried that it's going to be very much evident as these next few months play out. I will say I wanted to ask Doug what, how much you took away from, the, from Barry Alvarez being added in this advisory role and how crucial of a role do you think he plays as Kevin Warren's sounding board or uh, however you want to describe it as we go forward, especially as it relates to a, a subject like realignment. I mean, I do think that's a little bit, that could be the first step in the, the BTW KW initiative is like, well, you get a guy like Barry Alvarez, Barry Alvarez is BTW about football, right? So you get him now he's talking to Kevin Warren on a regular basis and he's dropping those reminders about that. I think that's a step. I think that matters. And so, you know, it, it, the Big Ten for a long time had like the most powerful guy in college sports. And Jim Delaney was simultaneously interested in holding on to traditions and looking into the future. He like was fought for the Rose Bowl. He had the dumbest quote ever and a long list of dumb things that adults in charge of, of college sports say when he was like, well, if we ever, you know, pay players, the Big Ten's going to go division three or whatever. Insultingly ridiculous and stupid. But he also like created the Big Ten Network, which revolutionized television in college football and like kickstarted all this TV money to a degree. He started that. And people thought he was nuts with the Big Ten Network. And then everybody copied it. He kickstarted realignment with grabbing Nebraska and then kickstarted that round of it. The Big Ten was a leader in this stuff. It's just bad timing. Now, if you would have gotten a commissioner 
who had been like the right hand person at another conference or had been like, listen, I, I've been doing this, right? I've basically, been, I've been an advice commissioner somewhere. You probably would be ahead of the game right now. The Big Ten tried to think outside the box and they got a guy who like wasn't in college sports. And so that's the choice they made. As it turns out, it's not directly about Kevin Warren. That type of hire, although like the, the Big 12 or the Pac-12 just hired a, like a casino guy, but maybe that's the right kind of hire for where we're going. I'm not sure Kevin Warren's background was the, the right resume for this era, as it turns out, especially the timing of this stuff. So you know what? I mean, the ACC hired the Northwestern Athletic Director, and he's trying to get Notre Dame in. Jim Phillips, if, like, if you hired Gene Smith, Jim Phillips at Northwestern was one of the most powerful Big Ten athletic directors. If they had hired him, they'd be in a better spot for this stuff, for expansion stuff, they, because he just knows more about it. But that's the decision the Big Ten made. So, like, you put Kevin Warren in this spot, right? And I don't think he's going to do a lot of proactive stuff. And I think I was talking to some people in Indy, and I think he's a little gun shy after how things went last year. And I was talking to people who were saying like, he's almost soliciting too many opinions at this point that after, sometimes if a leader makes a decision that's questionable, it's like, well, you want that person to solicit the opinions of others. But if all you do is spend your time soliciting the opinion of others, the world's going to pass you by. And Greg Sankey's going to steal the two biggest football properties out from under you before you even know what's going on. That's where the big 10 is. It's not entirely about Kevin Warren. It's about that's who the university's presidents chose to hire, but clearly they're behind. They're behind right now. Yeah, and the thing you're talking about, like, oh, they could have hired a vice chancellor for somewhere. I think it's on the Big Ten. Why wasn't that person being groomed from within? Like, Jim Delaney wasn't going to be here forever. He was there for like three decades. It wasn't, yeah, it didn't come out of the blue. I mean, they could have had a commissioner in waiting. That's a great point. Let's ask. That's a great point. It's a misstep. And I don't know Jim Delaney really at all. I don't know if he would have been like not the kind of person to do that, but it's a great point. Steven, I know this probably doesn't come up in the kind of conversations you have when you're out you're reporting on recruiting and stuff, but I'm just curious what sort of vibe you get as to uh, how tenuous things could be for the Big Ten as far as that, that what we're talking about, that, that concept of them being like out of touch or getting – you know, left behind by the rest of, of college football, because now they're obviously have been so traditionally in such a, a, a position of strength, which is why both Texas, Oklahoma and the SEC see some value, I think, in merging is to counteract what the Big Ten is to some extent. Yeah, recruits don't care that much. Oh, how can you develop me into an NFL player? Can you help me with an IO? Can you develop me as a human being off the field and don't my parents feel comfortable around you? It's that simple. I don't like if I were to ask, even if when, when I was asking some of those questions last year about the season being canceled and how the Big Ten handled some things, some were like, yeah, man, it, it sucks. But no one was ever like, see, this is why I would never go to Ohio State because the Big Ten did this, that, and the third. Let's talk about some actual football right now instead of uh, figurative football from the 304. Outside of Michigan, what Big Ten game are you most looking forward to this upcoming season? For me, I'm still reading their question. For me, it's Purdue. Revenge game from 2018, and under the last two clashes, we've really struggled with those guys. Who did you guys pick as the Big Ten game you're most looking forward to this upcoming season? Steven? Indiana, because I want to see if that's real or not. 
on it, and especially with it being, you know, in Bloomington this year, I want to know it when you test a team the way Indiana did in the second half, even though they were down, what was it, 35 to seven? I want to see if it's real. And there will be, they'll have played enough games to that point on both sides to know that coming into that, whether that was real last year or that just benefited from everybody sucking because we were in a pandemic. Yeah, Indiana is really dining out right now on what it did last year. It's, it's really had a nice recruiting surge, at least by Indiana mm-hmm. standards. I think they're up to like, what, seven four-stars in this class or something like that, yeah. which, again, you look around the Big Ten and, and four-stars aren't necessarily a given. Um, and especially in Indiana, they're not necessarily a given. So that, I, they're, they're making a good push. Doug, which game did you pick? I think I might pick like the fact that the opener is a big 10 game. I might pick just like whoever the opponent is for that game, because I want to see what the quarterback for Ohio state looks like. And so I'm like super, super, super interested in that. The fact that Minnesota is one of the most experienced teams in the country and that it's at Minnesota on a Thursday night, I think adds to that. So my interest level in that game is high compared to a lot of other games they could open with. And, and then it's Penn state. Because they're that's still the team. They they still have they have some interesting pieces on defense. They have some interesting guys in their secondary. Their linebackers are good. Like I just I wonder, I wonder if they can give them a game. And I just don't believe in Indiana as much. So I'm I'm gonna assume that the Indiana game is not gonna live up to what we think it might. And and I would be, you know, intrigued to be proved otherwise that yeah, that's a barn burner in Bloomington. But I'd say Minnesota and Penn State. I'm I'm inclined to think that maybe last year was the year Indiana actually had its shot to beat Ohio State in a way, even though that was on the road, because they were still like a, could be a bit of a surprise team in that scenario, and they blew it by getting down 35 to seven because they could obviously play with them from that point on. Although game dynamics change when you're down 35 to seven sometimes, but if if they play that game better in the first half of that game, if if Indiana does, then that might have been their chance to actually do it. But I, I picked the Minnesota game too. I just number one, I, Minneapolis is my favorite big 10 city. I, I love Minneapolis and I look forward to visiting it, not in January or February <laughs> visiting it at a time of year where I don't have to like wear a, a, a parka to, to walk to my car. Uh, but also it's, it's just a, like, like everything Doug is saying, like, I feel like this opener will teach us more about what Ohio state is than a lot of openers. I think. And the more you look at Minnesota, I don't think you have to even like squint that much to like see it being a team that could give them some issues. I, I, I think Minnesota might be a sieve defensively is the, is the one caveat I'll throw into that. But from a offensive standpoint, they're gonna have a, a big veteran offensive line, a really good running back, a veteran quarterback. I think they can move the ball. So that'll be an interesting test for this defense. So Minnesota was my number one and Penn state was my number two to use Steven's phrase. That's the one that I want to see if it's for real, like was last year, just, a weird drop off and could they bounce back and, and be a real contender this year? We uh, just to pump up the other podcast briefly on, on the college football playoff show each week, we talk about a team of whether we should let them into the playoff discussion as a serious contender. And this week we did Iowa state and Iowa state, like their whole team is guys who were recruited 10 years ago. Like it is unbelievable how old Iowa state is. And I think like Minnesota is like a junior, like a JV version of that. And it's just one of those things when you have like a good coach and a lot of veteran players, it's interesting. It's like, can you get over the top? And I think you need some skill guys to get you over the top. And I, and I think Iowa state has some of those guys, you know, Muhammad Ibrahim is like a, is like a pretty good running back. You know, like Tanner Morgan's been around for a long time. They've got a lot of veteran guys otherwise. 
And I think PJ Fleck is, is pretty good. So like, that's enough, right? That's enough to get your attention. And it's going to be one of those things. I do think it will play in Ohio state's favor. We'll have to see. I mean, Minnesota, if, if they can't start 0-5 and have Ohio, people respect that Ohio State win, I think Minnesota might be interesting enough that if Ohio State blows their doors off on a Thursday night on the road, we'll be on alert, right? It'll be like, okay, yeah, no, no the quarterback's ready. The other 10 guys on this offense are practically all-American candidates across the board. The secondary is fine. Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are getting after it, and, like, these guys might win the national title. Like, if they if – they, Take it to Minnesota. I think Minnesota's good enough that that would mean something. And I think they might be able to blow their doors off without much uh, help from the quarterback, frankly, because I think Ohio State could go out and run for 400 yards or whatever uh, with that kind of line and what they have. Um, from the 3-3-0 before we go to break, uh, I tried to avoid buying Girl Scout cookies last week. This is Joe and Charlotte, which is going to be an important part of this question. But the 10-year-old con artist saw my hat and let out an OH, so I was forced to buy three boxes question is being tricked into buying girl scout cookies really a bad thing i think this is a, a a moment where we can discuss our favorite girl scout cookies but i also wanted to point out this is joe in charlotte so a 10 year old girl i assume in charlotte saw his hat and knew by saying oh she'd be able to get him to buy this that might be my favorite 10 year old girl in the country to, to use that to have that kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for that kind of savvy that kind of um business savvy yeah i bet that girl sounds like a killer i bet she went to the next house and was like oh it's a red cursive a roll tide and she just sold another three she's just she's just like next hat it's like an orange paw she's like you know who i like some people say that guy's a weasel but i like dabo sweetie i'd let i'd let my kid play for him and she just goes down the block dominates Steven, do you even still eat Girl Scout cookies, and do you have a favorite flavor? I don't think I've had a Girl Scout cookie in like 10 years, but also I don't live in areas where there are people knocking on my door trying to sell Girl Scout cookies. Um, but when I did eat Girl Scout cookies, it was dos dos and then the lemonades. Anything that's a lemon cookie or it has peanut butter in it, I love. So I'm here I'm, for I'm, both. Yes, chocolate overrated, here for peanut butter and lemon. Mm -hmm. I, I am a huge Thin Mints fan and I like to use them to make, we'll make our homemade ice cream and then like smash up Thin Mints in them and, and make like a Thin Mints ice cream. It's, it's pretty great. So we should track the number of podcasts where you mentioned making ice cream. Yeah. That's a thing. Now. You it's... live in like in a farmhouse in the twenties. <laughs> we don't <laughs> churn our own butter. We I was going to say that. Are you churning cream. butter down there? No, it's, it, it's an, it's an automated process. It's, it's actually really simple. You guys would probably get a kick out of it. Uh, that is both a commercial for Girl Scout cookies and our Cuisinart ice cream maker or whatever company it is. And we're going to listen to some more commercials here at the break. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk doing some rapid fire on this Wednesday, and we're going to get into some more Ohio State football roster talk here. Uh, David in Valparaiso, Indiana. I know it's been said that the quarterback decision is targeted for the second week of camp. When would you expect the full two deep roster to be published slash announced and how final do you think it will be? Uh, I Never. don't <laughs> expect a full two deep roster to be published slash announced. Ohio State stopped doing the two deep during COVID last year, um, partially because the day-to-day -day uncertainty of that, I think, was maybe factored in the decision or they used it as an excuse to just no longer do a two deep. And the way they phrased it at the time 
was sort of, oh, do we really need to do this anymore? Don't people know what the roster is? And I think they're phasing it out completely. I haven't checked with Ohio State. It hasn't been a high priority for me because we can kind of track it on our own. But I would not be surprised if they don't do one for 2021. Or maybe – I expect it too deep to be announced when we're at the Minnesota game watching them warm up in groups. Did they announce it, though? Did they have it in the game day notes, though, last year? They did have it eventually each week? I don't think so. Mm. There might have been one on game they day. They might have. I don't think they had it in the playoff, but I, they might have had it in the regular season. Because, listen, if you're doing it because, like, you know, you don't know who might be out for COVID and that kind of thing, like, I get it. If they stopped doing a depth chart, people killed Jim Harbaugh when Michigan started doing depth charts. Yeah. We can't let this – I mean, like, you don't get just to stop doing it without, like and, – and, like, who on this beat's going to hold their feet to the fire? I mean, like, it, it's crap. It, it helps fans understand, like, what do you mean, like, oh, it doesn't matter well, who – does it really – yeah, the fans want to know because the fans don't get to go to practice, and, frankly, neither does the media. So, like, can we maybe have a little bit of information for the people who live and die with your football program so we don't have to, like, get the binoculars out on Saturday and try to figure out who's going on the field? I, I mean, it, the, and the idea that it's any kind of, like, advantage or whatever is stupid. No. So, like, I mean, like, Ohio State fans, everybody. It was like a national story that Jim Harbaugh stopped putting out a depth chart. So, like, if Ohio State, like, in the non-COVID world, where th- stuff is kind of op- operating at normal, and they're just like, eh, no depth chart. That's crap, man. Absolute crap. It's I a service say- to your fans. And we represent the fans. People would like to know who's expected to start. That's not too much to ask. And if somebody gets hurt, who might come in? That is not too much to ask. And if you think that it is a strategic advantage, then you need to check your strategy because you're reaching for stuff. Yeah, because the opposing team is not going by what they see on a piece of paper. They're going by what they've seen in the, all the scouting that they've done. I, I do say think that Jim Harbaugh gets slammed for that decision because when you're not winning and then you try to do something like that, people are like, wait, so that's what's keeping you from winning, that you publish a depth chart each week, which, again, as we just said, has, has minimal impact, on if, if any, on how a team prepares to play you. Uh, if you're Ohio State and you're winning, I think you get more leeway from the public to to do that. I think you do. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying they it's will. It's because nobody, everybody, there's no everybody's afraid of like to criticize Ohio State. That's all it is. I mean, it's not. It's easy. It's easy to pile on Michigan. It's like Harbaugh is a ding dong. Harbaugh does all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, that was yeah. just like next in the line of crazy stuff. Ohio <laughs> State should put out a depth chart. And I, I, I would like to hear the rational explanation other than, like, we're overly secretive because we're football paranoid. Like, it's – can we just inform the fans a little bit? I, I just don't think it's too much to ask, and it's the way we've done it. And if you're going to change something – it's a major change. You need to explain it. You need to explain it, man. I, I hope we don't let it slide. Yeah, I, there may be one on game day mornings. I just don't know if we're going to go back to the scenario where we used to get them on, like, Friday mornings. We'll see. Uh, these next two questions, though, we can help uh, – well, next several questions, we can help our, our listeners with the depth chart a little bit based on what we know right now. From uh, This is from Q in Atlanta. There seems to be a lot of uncertainty at linebacker. Between spring practices, the intel you got from media day, and everything else, who should be expected – who should we expect to be the starting three linebackers, bullet included, of course? And there was also a question from the 650 – 
Hey, Buckeye Talk, how do you foresee Dallas Gant, Court Williams, and Cody Simon working into the defensive rotation? Also, Kerry Combs seems to really like Ronnie Hickman. It makes me think that the defense might be more of a 14-15 man situational rotation than 11 starters. Let's do the first question first the about the three linebackers who we expect to start. And I don't think – like my opinion of this hasn't changed based on anything we saw this spring. I would still expect it to be Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Craig Young. I think that's what I predicted back when we did that. Anything that has changed your guys' opinions so far? No, I'm still Taraja Mitchell, Cody Simon, Craig Young as the bullet. And it's just two linebackers on the field. There will be times when they need a third linebacker, like a third yeah. true linebacker. I'll be curious to see like sort of how that shakes out. Um, the fact that they said whatever again, whatever the Court Williams thing is, it feels like Court Williams might work his way into something. Then the fact that Dallas Gant is like going to be back in August and is fine after not being there in spring, um, at least opens up that competition. I mean, we, we don't know. I don't think they know. I mean, I think if you ask them, it's like, well, we're pretty sure Taraja Mitchell's going to start, and we're pretty sure this young Hickman thing at the bullet right when we're playing mm-hmm. the bullet and then like maybe I don't know if Court Williams is going to work in more there however they say safety I don't think they know so I think that's one of the big battles of August is Dallas Gantt versus Cody Simon and I think Dallas Gantt being out for the spring cracked the door for the younger guy who by the way is a top 100 recruit that probably mm-hmm. doesn't get talked enough as a top this guy's this guy's a big recruit yeah. so like the fact that, like it wouldn't even be like him stealing a job it's like oh the guy who was like the number whatever 70 something player in the country is starting for Ohio state. It's like, okay, well that makes sense. So I think that's one of the main battles of August. This idea of the, the 14, 15 man situation rotation. We've already talked about that. I think pretty extensively. And I, I could definitely see something like that happening, especially as it relates to, to the Mike linebacker could Gant and Simon both play there. We've definitely talked about it in terms of bullet. Do you play young and Hickman and, like you say, we don't know exactly what's going on with Williams, although they keep talking about him as a safety. Even when last week when Ryan Day was asked safety or bullet, he emphasized safety for Court Williams. So we'll see exactly what's going on with that. Uh, there's obviously some changeable language uh, when it comes to strong safety and slot corner. So I think there's a lot that could, could be in the mix there, especially early on. I think we might see guys – getting moved around a little bit or, or at least extra some some additional guys getting in to see what's going on there yeah I you thought they were may, maybe 14 15 last year you saw it with the secondary more than the linebackers since they had four veteran guys but the idea of that first game Marcus Williamson was the slot corner on the first two downs and then Cam Brown was it on obvious passing downs I think we might see more of that situation this year where there's people who are in first and second down situations and then on third down you might see some packages there where Maybe if Cody Simon and, and Taraja Mitchell or Dallas Gant and Taraja Mitchell are the start are out there for first and second down, you go Cody Simon and Taraja. You go the other, you know, pairing for third down and whatnot. You see that more in the secondary, everywhere in the back seven. While obviously up front, Larry Johnson just does this thing rolling, guys. I mean, there's a difference between guys have a battle in camp to figure out who's going to play, and like the guy, one guy's going to be the starter, one guy's going to be the backup. Like I think we're mm-hmm. in that situation. I don't know. I always reference. I mean, it, it just worked out so well in 14. It's like senior Curtis Grant, freshman Raekwon McMillan. They basically shared middle linebacker. You know, Dallas Gant, Cody Simon's not that because they're only two years apart in class, right? I mean, it's like mm-hmm. Dallas Gant's an 18 guy and Cody Simon's a 20 guy. I, I think it could settle into that. I don't know enough at the moment to know who the best coverage linebackers are. I mean, that's going to be a thing on third down. 
Yep. If you're in a nickel package, it was always like, well, we knew Tough Borland was coming off the field on third down. It's going to be like Baron mm-hmm. Browning and Pete Werner. It was going to be the year before it was Malik Harrison and either Baron Browning or Pete Werner as the second guy. That's where you get into, I mean, w- would Cody Simon, you know, if he's not a starter on first and second down, be a nickel backer? I don't know. I, I don't know that. I don't know who the two best coverage guys are. That's like one of the things I'd be curious about. It's like, I don't, I'm not even sure I have a handle on like, oh, well, this guy's really good against the run, but this guy's really good in space. And this, like, I, I don't, we just haven't seen enough of Taraji Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope, I think, to have, I don't have a great handle on like what they do well to figure out, you know, whether it's just split and snaps or whether it's nickel or how they might share something. And that's the important thing to remember. Like they asked, you know, the, 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 one of our textures asked, you know, between spring practices, we got to see some spring practice, but you don't get to see like essential stuff in spring practice. You don't necessarily, you don't get to see it repetitively. You don't get to see a lot of competitive drills. Uh, so it, it's difficult to make those sorts of assessments based on the spring. And it's, there are a lot of guys on this defense who we did not get to see ever really playing games, not just last year, but even going back to 2019 guys who are veterans in this program that we're still waiting to really see them play football and, and start to make some of those evaluations. And even if we had a, gotten a full practice to watch in the spring, a lot of these linebackers were hurt. Yes, <laughs> so the they yeah, we wouldn't have learned yeah, anything about that. We wouldn't yeah. have learned anything about them anyway. So it's, right. it's, it's the combination of last year was weird. These guys have been blocked since they got here. And then the one chance that maybe we would have been able to see something, they're walking around in crutches or in boots. All right, let's rumble again from the 704. Who will have the most receiving yards and catches out of Julian Fleming, Jeremy Ruckert, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Emeka Igbuka in 2021. Which of those four guys will have the most catches? Which one of those four guys will have the most receiving yards? Wow. That is a really interesting question. That gets a lot into some garbage time stuff with the receivers. It gets into how much they play. you think guys think they'll rotate. Are they really going yeah. to play three receivers? Are they going to play six? I'll say Igbuka because that leans back into it feels like he'll just be a greater part of a rotation in the slot with Jackson Smith and the Jigba than Fleming and Marvin Harrison will be with two All-Americans on the outside. And while I do think Ruckert is a lock for over 20, I mean, I don't know that he'll get to 40. And, like, I think if Mecca Igbuka could have, like, four catches a game, Three catches a game. If you told me that Mecca Buka averaged three catches a game this year in a 14 game season, that's 42 catches. That sounds about right to me because I think he'll take meaningful snaps sometimes and he'll get the ball. And then I think he'll get a lot of snaps in the second half of blowouts and be like practically the number one target in that situation. So, like, I, I can definitely envision that. So, Steven, you were nodding. I didn't mean to take the obvious answer, but I think no, it's Igbuka. I think it's Igbuka. Garrett and Ben shared a spot. Garrett's freshman in 2019. They, shared, they rotated that spot, and Ben Victor only had five more catches than Garrett. Now, he had more yards, but that's just what you do with it afterward. But he only had five more catches. So because the obvious answer is Emeka Ibuka, because he's probably the closest thing to an actual rotation of the, the six spot, the six receivers, three spot situation – I'm not going to be totally shocked just because of how a game goes if he has more catches than Jackson, even if Jackson has more snaps. 
You know, I mean, and it might only be like two or three catches. I'm not saying have 12, 12 more catches, but it like it's 35 to 30. That was the Garrett uh, Benjamin Victor split. It might be 37 to 34 between Jackson and the Mecca. Now, the, the difference there is that at that point in his career, Ben Victor was Ben Victor. And I know he's, I mean, I think he's right. in the NFL, but I mean, Ben Victor was Ben Victor. And we don't, I mean, people think like Jackson Smith, the Jigba is like on breakout candidate lists and stuff. Like people, yeah. people are wondering if like Jackson Smith, the Jigba is Garrett Wilson. So I think they want to get, you know, it's one of those things, like even the second half of blowouts, maybe Jackson Smith, maybe it'll be in the second half, like Marvison Harrison Jr. I'm going to constantly call him Marvison Harrison Jr. I've done it 30 times. MHJ is going to be maybe on the field with Julian Fleming because like they'll take out Olave and Wilson, mm-hmm. right? But maybe they want Jackson Smith the Jigba to get more run because like he's new and they – and he might be their leading receiver in a year. And so maybe Ibuka would actually play less. I don't, I don't know. I think Ibuka will play more in a normal rotation. Maybe he'll play less in a blowout. But I do think they need to get a handle on exactly what JSN is as well, which is it's not a straight-line analogy to the Victor situation. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, again, also, is Wilson staying outside? Does that get Ibuka more – sort of like backup reps, even with the first string when Jackson Smith and Jigba comes out of the game? Or is it more likely earlier in games that Garrett still moves inside sometimes and that gives Fleming or Marvin Harrison Jr. more reps early on? Um, how much do they really throw later in games when it's blowout scenarios, when they've got an offensive line like this and, and the running backs they have and an ability to just kind of run the game away? I don't know. Like there's part of me that actually thinks from a catch standpoint, it could be Rucker over any of those three receivers just because the receiver stuff can get so split up between all of those guys. And then if Rucker then absorbs even those scant few uh, targets that were going to other tight ends the last couple of years, that that pushes him more into that like 30 to 35 conversation. I know we've, we steadily put Julian Fleming's the backup Z behind Chris Olave. Are we sure he won't be the backup X at the, or just be the backup outside wide receiver. And if they want to just like throw Garrett in the slot when they don't have Jackson out there, it's just Julian Garrett and Chris out there because Ryan Day just kind of go. I mean, the question about Julian was asked, but he kind of hyped up Julian a little bit and said, he's actually been having a really good summer now that he's healthy. And that is still another guy who was the number one wide receiver in his class. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, I would not expect Julian Fleming to like take Marvis, Marvin Harrison Jr. snaps away. Like they usually have those guys stick at X or Z and they pick mm-hmm. one and that's where you play. And then when you're a veteran guy like Terry McLaurin and they need you, you can move around a little bit. But I think there'll be fairly defined roles that he'll be in one of the outside spots and MHJ will be at the other and, and that's how that rotation will work. I think that makes a lot of sense just from a game prep standpoint, right? Like why have a guy working out at different positions during the week? Now, maybe if there were a long-term injury, you would adjust and have somebody play a different position the, the following week if you're going to set something up. But as far as just like game to game, I think that makes more sense to have one guy be the backup at X, one guy be the backup. I mean, it's at what C. they do. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's how they've done it. It would be a change if they, if they went away from that. Is there any change? Do you guys think it's like, that Rucker could lead in receptions out of this group? For, oh, for sure. Definitely. Sure. I, I, I think I'm probably going to land – like if Rucker – in a 14-game season, if Rucker has three a game, that's 42. I was thinking more like two and a half. <laughs> that seems high. I think I would land with Rucker between 30 and 40. 
Yeah. So, and that feels like right where like Igbuka would be. I mean, even the comparison that you were doing, Stephen, it was like you said, like Victor had 35 and, and Wilson had 30. It's like, mm-hmm. it's right in this range. So I think it's possible that Igbuka and Rucker will both between, be between 30 and 40. And I still just feel like until proven otherwise, the slot is just a pretty primary part, I think, of this offense and that there's the guys that you have to target because of who they are, but the slot just gets balls, right? I mean, like, again, we saw Paris Campbell and KJ Hill went nuts mm-hmm. in the slot here. And so I don't think it's to that extent, but I just think you have to account for those are the guys who are going to be playing that position. And this offense just works in a way that gets those guys targets. So you've got to assume that Jackson Smith, the Jigba and the Mecca Buka, if they're the two main slot guys are going to combine for like a, a pretty good amount of targets, even in a world where Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson might be the two best receivers in the country. Like, the way, like different than last year, and that last year they ignored Jamison Williams, but that's because Wilson was one of the two players you wanted to target, and he was also mm-hmm. playing the position that this offense favors. So I do think that's, that's what I'm sort of meaning by that, that I don't think we will see a, as big of a gap as we did a year ago when it felt like they only had two receivers on the field 75% of the time. Well, also having two veteran tight ends, so you played a lot more 12 personnel. So if you just wanted to have two outside receivers, you could easily just do that. One more sort of uh, fanciful roster question before we go to break. This is from the 210. If you were the Ohio State GM right now, which obviously doesn't exist, really. Uh, no, it does. Mark well, Pantone okay. a GM. Yeah, his name is Mark Pantone. He just can't do trades. Yeah. Well, if you hear the end of this question, exactly. You'll get to what I'm saying. <laughs> Would you trade either or both Olave or Wilson – for Stingley or Ricks from LSU. If LSU called and said they would approve any combination of these trades, what would you do? Can I trade one of them and not say which one of them I trade, but tell you which one of them I want? No. Oh. You have to make the trade. Well, then Garrett obviously the stays. Is. Garrett obviously stays. He's Garrett. I would trade Chris Olave for Elias Ricks because that gets you – and just quickly, for people who don't know, Elias Ricks, Derek Stingley, the defensive backs for LSU, they're considered among yeah, the best in the country. Yeah, Derek Stingley's gone after this year because he's going to be a top three pick. Garrett and Chris Olave are also gone, but at least in this situation, I have Ricks for another year because he's only a sophomore. So that's one less cornerback spot I have to be worried about for the next two years. And also Garrett's Garrett. I and also Ohio like, State has some other receiving talent. But I feel like... I feel okay. I feel more okay about Ohio State at corner in the future than I do now. Right. So I would – boy. I would be reluctant to do it because you have such sure things with a young quarterback that I would bank that we – that if I were Mark Pantone, I'd say I think we can outscore people. But if I were going to do it, I think I'd, I'd, I would try to get Stingley and say, like, I'm trying, I'm trying to win the national title, like, right now, and I'm worried that our corners aren't good enough to do it. And that, you know what, like, we were preparing for a world without Chris Olave. Like, we were prepared to not have Chris Olave. So we could just pretend mm-hmm. that Chris Olave went to the NFL and that Derek Stingley transferred here. And, like, if you could do that, I would be really reluctant to do it because I still think the best formula might be for them to just let those two receivers drive people crazy. Because here's the other thing. We saw what no Chris Olave meant for Garrett Wilson last year. And so if you – now, now again, it doesn't 
that, that doesn't mean you don't believe in Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison and Nemeke Buka and everybody else. But I think it's, I think you do risk that if you take either Olave or Wilson away, you're also decreasing the effectiveness of the guy who's left. You might be increasing his stats, but I think you might be decreasing his effectiveness in a way that would damage the offense. You, if, if you're at 200% right now with those two guys, I think if you lost one, you might go to 85%. You wouldn't go to 100%. You know what I mean? Like you'd lose 100% of the one guy and the other guy wouldn't be quite as good. You make a good point about how Olave was going to be gone anyway after this season, or we thought he'd be gone anyway at this point. I hadn't really considered that in my answer, but I think that now because of uh, the other thing that you said is why I ultimately said no. I said that you would do what they're doing this year, which is have both Olave and Wilson out there to help bring along and maybe maximize what a freshman first-time starting quarterback can do, try to outscore people, and then now you have this entire secondary that all could be back next year, except, I guess, Proctor. Although, I mean, Proctor and Banks both, I guess, retain last year's, like, phantom year that they could, I guess, tack on to the future. So you really do, other than Marcus Williamson, you have potentially your whole secondary back next year. But more to the point, you've got this whole group of young guys who are going to get a lot of reps this year. I think I would rather try to outscore people this year and let that whole secondary sort of organically develop and age and mature and grow. And now maybe next year you have a stronger secondary overall. If you guys had to take one though, between Ricks and, and Stingley, you take Stingley. I mean, Stingley's like arguably the best player in college football. I mean, I think every I list, every list out there has him as the best defensive player. So if I'm thinking about this year, I take Stingley, no doubt about it. If I'm thinking about how you're thinking about it, which is an interesting way to think about it, then it's like, all right, well, would you rather have two years of Ricks or one year of Stingley? It's like, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I would rather have two years of Ricks, but if I'm going to give up, but, if, but you're not going to have Wilson or Olave after this year, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm trading, it's like Ohio State's never about the future. Every year you can win the national title. So if I'm giving up Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, I feel like it, it has to be because it makes me have a better chance to win the national title this year. And I would give up Olave instead of Wilson psychologically, only psychologically, because I feel like Chris Olave is like in a bonus year for Ohio State and Garrett Wilson is like a, in a money year. Like this is what all, this is what everything, all the recruiting that Ryan Day did, that he went down to, to save the recruitment after the Zach Smith stuff and all the work they did to like get Garrett Wilson, get him to Ohio State, play him as a freshman, develop him was for this payoff. And like psychologically to be like, and that payoff will take place in Baton Rouge would be like, what? Why did we do that? Where Olave has already given you so much. I feel like he's in bonus territory. So I, I just couldn't, I couldn't give up Garrett's money year. That's a good point. We'll be back from break to wrap things up. We've still got questions coming up about uh, the long-term potential damage for Ohio State if Gene Smith were to retire, the current OSU player we think will have the biggest career outside of football, and a little bit of basketball talk. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Back for the final segment of Rapid Fire Buckeye Talk here on this Wednesday. This is from the 614. You've talked several times about how any program, including OSU, is only one bad head coach hire away from a dip. 
is the biggest long-term threat to the Ohio State football program actually Gene Smith's replacement whenever he moves on or retires? He's provided tremendous stability to the program for 15-plus years and has proven twice he can hire great coaches. His successor might not have that track record, and Christina M. Johnson has never had to hire an AD at the OSU level anyway either. I thought this was a really interesting question that we, we've always talked about how Ohio State has this great consistency. Ohio State never has a big lull, a big dip. Gene Smith has been here now for a big chunk of the modern establishment of that. But it's naturally, he's getting to a stage of his career where you have to wonder about what happens after he moves on. I think that's actually a pretty good point that a lot of ADs out there, even if you're at a place like Ohio State where you have so many resources at your back when you're trying to hire the best person available, you don't always have Urban Meyer fall into your lap. You don't also always have Ryan Day just sitting there and wait, a guy that you can turn to. But that was a bit of a gamble by Gene Smith, obviously, and it paid off. So, Doug, your thoughts on that, that this is one of the things that Ohio State fans, um, if you're going to look at where the crack could be, that whenever that replacement comes for Gene Smith, that's going to be a big deal because eventually they will need to hire another football coach and they're going to have to uh, hit the same home run that they've been hitting for a while now. I don't know how you judge ADs. I mean, I guess you judge them on the hires they made at their previous school, right? I mean, it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight from every current athletic director, whoever worked at Ohio state is going to want to come back and be the Ohio mm-hmm. state AD. And plus they'll have, great candidates, people who aren't connected. Being an AD matters. Like, I, I, I don't think I'm in a place where it's like Ohio State's football success hinges on the AD, right? Because, like, anybody can make a bad hire. Anybody can make a great hire. It's funny, like, Gene Smith was not tested on that for a very, 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 very long time, right, at least in terms of football, because he inherited Jim Trestle, and he did hire Thad Mata, and that was a good one. But then it was like, okay, kind of for a long time. It's like he hired Tom Ryan in wrestling. That was good, right? He had some other ones. But he had, you know, it was kind a of, long time. And then he and didn't, Urban was kind of obvious. Like, like he didn't get credit for Urban. Now, somebody else, there would have been a way to screw up Urban. Urban was the obvious candidate. And if you didn't let your ego get in the way, you could anybody could have hired Urban. But there might have been ADs who were like, well, I'm not going to get any credit for Urban, so I'm going to go hire somebody that I'll get credit for if he's great. I mean, ADs operate that way sometimes. Mm. So um, I think Gene deserves some credit for Urban. He's uh, Ryan Day is all Gene. I mean, I, I do not know a ton of ADs that would have like just promoted the offensive coordinator who had no ties to Ohio State and had been here for two years. Now, Urban had a great influence in that because urban said this is the guy and gene and urban have a good relationship i think gene runs i think gene has a good relationship with his coaches and from what i can tell and runs the department pretty well i if they if they fall apart after an ad hire they aren't who we thought they were and that is not to take anything away from gene but come on man this is like just the ship is pointed in the right direction just don't jerk the wheel i mean what are we talking about here Ohio State has every advantage where it is. And that's the difference between like the Kevin Warren hire and replacing Gene Smith. Because Ohio State, for what it is, because yes, they're trying to compete for national championships, but like for the everyday part of stuff, Ohio State's on top, right? Like they're number one most of the time in the context they're in. So Gene Smith is running like the thing on top. The Big Ten as a whole was never number one, 
right? It was in terms of sports, it was number two to the SEC. So when Kevin Warren comes in and I, you're trying to keep up, it's it's a little bit of a different thing. The idea of and, and so much change. Kevin Warren has to do a little more than just keep the ship pointed in the right direction, right? There's a little more proactivity I think needed. I don't know that there's a lot of proactivity needed from the next Ohio State AD, you know, until the coach leaves or whatever. Then you'll figure it out. But it's like Matt Campbell will want to come. So, like, it'll be fine. It won't be hard to hire Matt Campbell. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. But I do agree Gene's done a pretty good job. And it's going to be Martin Jarmont. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to be actually I mean, my, I next, my next point was that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, you know, why didn't the Big Ten maybe do a better job setting up its own succession plan for Jim Delaney? They could have had someone who was kind of his handpicked person, someone he groomed to step in and sort of take that next step and keep it going. And there's probably, if you ask people within the Big Ten, maybe they would say that there are reasons why that doesn't really work, that you have to go get someone with their own relationships and identity, and it's questionable whether they did that. But I'm at Ohio State, you could argue, I think, that Gene Smith has done that in a different way. It's that he brings people in, they learn under him, and then he, like, releases them out into the wild to go to these other schools and, like, okay, you guys go tear it up where you're at. Build your relationships and your brand for yourself – you know, stand on your own two feet, but you've got this Ohio State Foundation, you've got the Gene Smith Foundation, and the combination of those two things will someday make you an attractive candidate for this job. So, I mean, Jarmon's one, but there's other candidates out there too that have kind of followed that same plan. So Pat Chun at Washington State, he left Ohio State, went to Florida Atlantic, then went to Washington State. Heather Like at Pitt, those are just three of the people. Um, ben Jay left and went to be the AD at Hawaii, and that didn't work out as well. And hes I don't think he's an AD anymore, but like he does have – he, he does have this group. Diana Sabo is like number two at the Big Ten right now. So I don't know what Diana wants to do. Ultimately, I don't know if she would rather be a commissioner or if she would rather be an AD, but she'll be a candidate. So, I mean, it's just it's, it's what they do here. And, and they just brought in um, Jocelyn Gates from BC to replace Diana, who is like another person with like a really good resume, who, who will be either – an AD herself soon enough in a couple years, or would maybe be the most likely internal candidate if, you know, you're looking to promote from within. So, I mean, they're going to have a lot of people and then it's going to be one of those things also, but also if you just want to hire like whatever, the Clemson AD who's been an AD for 15 years, they'd be able to do that. Like they would be able to hire a ton of current ADs, who have no connection, but would be happy to come do, you know, Jim Phillips left Northwestern to be the Clemson. I mean, it'd be the ACC commissioner. You know, if Gene had retired five years ago and you were like, Hey, Jim Phillips, who's like a respected idea at Northwestern, you want to work at Ohio state instead of Northwestern, he would have come. So like, they'll have a lot of good candidates. Just like Gene was a great candidate. Gene's from Cleveland played at Notre Dame. Like didn't go to Ohio state. It's Ohio, Ohio born, Ohio raised, but it was just like, Oh, he's the, He's the AD at Arizona State. He's really qualified. So they'll have a lot of candidates. From the 419, which current Ohio State player do you guys think will have the biggest career outside of football? Steven, I'm sure you have some great candidates for this. Yeah, yeah, I've got a long list. Harry Miller, Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler, Cody Simon, um, Jalen Johnson. He's pretty entertaining. G. Scott will probably be a really good um color commentator one day honestly you probably do something more than that but i just think he'd be really good at breaking down the game kyle mccord cj stroud probably jack miller 
JTT, if his other career could be, if he could quit playing football right now and go play basketball, which he's not doing for the hundredth time. So please stop writing these stories. It's not happening. But yeah, a lot of the offensive linemen really more than any other position group, which is always interesting how offensive linemen seem to have the most interesting personalities given the positions they play. I picked both Millers. I thought Jack Miller, uh, a guy just from his family connections and and how he's grown up. And plus, I feel like he's a guy who's going to get out there on the golf course. He's a good golfer. He can get out there and like make some deals and um, has some of that, maybe just some of that entrepreneurial savvy, like that 10 year old girl selling the Girl Scout cookies. Um, And then also Harry Miller, just because we've we've already seen him demonstrate the personality he has. And also I don't know how you define the you know, biggest career outside of football. I guess you're looking for like uh, fame or financial success or something, but it seems like a guy whose heart is also in the right place and could probably do some impactful things with either the celebrity that he maintains from football or regardless of that, just going off and then doing things to help people. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like if I did it of, I mean, if like the guys like Anthony Gonzalez, right. I mean, like that's kind of how I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, I played Ohio state yep. football. Now he's a congressman. Um, I think Paris Johnson's in that mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Paris Johnson has, has proven to have interests uh, beyond the football field. And I could see him, I could see him doing something in the media realm or in the charitable realm or, or something where he, uh, he and, and like, also it helps like if you're like a super awesome football player. <laughs> so like Paris Johnson might, I mean, not to put too, but it's like, I mean, Paris John- like if Paris Johnson's like in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and then is the next thing. It's like, all right, well, that's a pretty good. I mean, he is an immensely talented football player that we are about to see unleashed. So um, he's a guy that pops to mind a lot with that. I think he's a thoughtful dude. And from the six one four to close things out, Stephen, this will be a basketball question. If there's time for basketball, based on a Stephen text today, with eight seniors, they are in a must win now situation because the following year is a big drop in experience slash talent. How much pressure is there in the 2021-22 season for the Buckeyes? I don't know if the eight seniors is why there's a lot of pressure. There's just pressure because last year they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament after having a number two seed. It's just that simple. They need to start winning and going deeper in the NCAA tournament, regardless of how many seniors you have on this team. They, they the, the the pressure of the having – such an old roster is more just on the recruiting class and how big it needs to be, which Holtman has said. He said when we talked to him today and he said in previous other times when I've spoken to him that this 2022 recruiting class was always going to be large in number and needed to have some significant talent. And so far it's getting there. It's four guys, three of them are in the top 50 and it's the number one class in the country. I mean, I don't think college basketball is like centered around old guys. I mean, like that's it's like, oh, they're old and veteran. That's not doesn't that's not what makes you good. Malachi Branham's gonna make them good. Yeah. So like I, I don't I don't think like tying the fact that they're old, I, I don't know that it has much to do with I mean, it's nice to have Kyle Young's and guys like that, but like I don't know. Baylor was pretty old last year. I think they had like four or five seniors, but yeah, you're right. You still need the NBA guy who can get you over the top. So it's a, it's a mixture of young, really good talent, which is what Malachi is, but then also some veterans who are, you have experience when you have that combination. It's typically when you have a final four team. Yeah, that'll do it. Thanks for listening to Buckeye talk on this Wednesday. We'll be back with some Buckeye football futures on Thursday. 
That'll be me and Steven tearing things down. I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Ohio State-Alabama comparison. We got a lot of actually recruiting questions today. So if you asked a recruiting question, you didn't hear it today, it might show up on Thursday's podcast. So thanks for joining us. For Doug Lee Maurice and Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.